meaning of the master of the wind? Amen. And that is the greatest knowing that you can know, to know the master himself. As I greet all of you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you happy to be in the presence of the Lord? We certainly were looking forward to to Sunday morning uh, to hear what God has got to say to our hearts. How many were looking forward to Sunday morning? Amen. There is something special about morning. There is something special about morning. There is a special breeze in the morning. The resurrection took place in the morning. It is quite a lot that goes on in the morning. If you want to go anywhere, be a morning person. Amen. So, Brother Eli uh, is there. Uh, you remember he, we baptized him last week. Now, when after uh, Brother Philip, we appreciate what you are doing, you and Sister Winnie at your house. The, that's that's uh, our spiritual maternity ward. Amen. All spiritual babies are born there. Amen. So, Brother Philip and Sister Winnie are our spiritual midwives. Amen. So, uh, after the baptism, sometimes they sit and just have a fellowship to get to know a person, strengthen their faith, affirm their decision. Uh, for that, we really appreciate. Amen. So, while they were talking to Brother Eli, then we found that today there is more to how he came. So, I thought I should just give him just a few minutes to tell you who is he. He came along with his lovely wife. Is the wife in the building? Oh, amen. God bless you. Is the mom here? Oh, all right. There's the mother as well. Amen. The brother is originally from Angola, but moved from Angola to uh, the U.S., New York. Now he has come back. He has set up a uh, he's a farmer in Mozambique. Amen. Now, so we'll just, if you can just take a seat and then uh, as our brother comes. Do I have a seat where I can sit? Amen. God bless, brother. I'll move. You can use this mic, brother. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Good morning. May God bless you all in the name of Jesus Christ. While I load my computer very quickly, I'll try to do this in a faster pace possible. But before I start with my testimony, I'd like to thank Pastor Madiba uh, for being very candid and for your guidance uh, throughout the week. So we kept on talking through WhatsApp. Uh, Deacon David was the first person I reached out um, on WhatsApp as well. I got the number through the website. Obviously, Brother Philip and Sister Winfred, Brother Nelson, who I got to meet, uh, took pictures. I was looking forward to someone taking a picture of the baptism. So God lined up everything then. Uh, Before I start, uh, the first thing I'd like to say about this uh, testimony is the first of its kind. I've never done such a thing before. Uh, The first is that I wish to convey my deep appreciation for what God has done for me. I'm in my 40s, so there's a lot to appreciate God for. 
Second, and I would like to use this as an encouragement to those that are considering or intending to fall off the wagon. So if you're considering or intending to, uh, please don't. So that's the intent of this. Thirdly, um, I'd like to say, at least convey to the church this morning, that I'm no longer a POW. So if you don't know what that means, in America it's a prison of war. So as of last week, I am free as a bird. The first thing that, as part of the introduction to this, the first thing I'd like to say that I was born in a household of message believers. Both my mom and my dad were true message believers, and they still are to date. So growing up at age 14, I was the translator of my church, as the pastor indicated, is a Portuguese-speaking church, about 2,000 members. At 14, I was already translating into English and sometimes French or even Spanish. So I was really caught up in that whole movement in the 80s. Uh, at age 16, I got my first job. I was working for oil and gas firms. Uh, as you could imagine, it was uh, definitely a blessing from above. Uh, Iris, and I'd like to add this, back then, at least when I was 11 or 12, I got really baptized in the message. But I would confess today that that baptism was meaningless because I was part of uh, Sunday school. Everybody was getting baptized. So I said, why not tag along and get baptized, right? But there was no true conversion in my part. As you can imagine, you're 11. What do you know? Nothing. What do you have experienced? Absolutely nothing. But that all ended at age 16 or 17, 16 or 17 as many churches in the message have experienced before, and they still experience to date, there were a lot of scandals that happened when I was in my 16. So bad scandals, uh, not to mention here at the church, uh, there were sexual misconduct, part of the ministers, the pastor. So you can imagine at 16, you're discovering yourself. So what I told myself, these people are fake. As a young guy, I said, I'm leaving. So I'm going to do my thing. So I left. So you can imagine at 16, leaving and tracing my step back in my 40s, coming back to you all uh, last week here. But so it has been a long journey indeed. So I'd like to go into details in some of these things very quickly. I abandoned the church, never fellowship with the church, with the message believers, but my mom, who I believed was always praying for me, and she did, still does to date, pray for me. So I would avoid even talking to her. She was one of the annoying anti-message believers. There is no conversation she will not sneak in a verse or a quote from Brother Branham or say, you got to put your life in order. So I would go sometimes a year without talking to her. Um, it was a very painful experience because all I could do is, as much as I could, distance myself from those anti-message believers. But I would say while I was at the church, while I was under that annoying, anointing, while I was under the presence of God, God had blessed me in an amazing way. At 21, I made my first $1 million. And at that time, I never went to a bank, and I still haven't gone to any bank apply for a loan. It was simply that youthful faith that if you believe in God, everything was possible. I left my job at 21, I moved to New York, I set up my firm, I still have a company in the U.S., 
I uh, developed business across the board. But deep inside, the desire was you need to put your life in order. And there was no avoiding that. Once you have that seed planted in you, there was no avoiding. I could, I never drank, I still did, don't, I never smoked, never done drugs. But occasionally I'll find myself in a bar. Uh, but then I asked myself, what are you doing here? There's a voice within, get out of this place. But that always continued for over my 20s and my 30s and persistently thought I needed to get out. But this is where the transformation came. Uh, and I'm, I may just highlight this. It is not as simple as people assume once you backslide or once you go back. It's just that easy to get back in. It's not just like jumping into the bus. So I mentioned earlier, you are POW. Once you jump off the ship, you are prison of war. Aren't we all soldiers of Christ? So imagine I was captive. I was a prisoner. It didn't matter what I intended to do. Even if my, uh, my intentions were all right, but it wasn't fitting. I was scheduled to go to a church. I'll skip the church. I was scheduled to meet a pastor. It didn't work out. So this went on for 20 years. So I'm joyful this morning uh, to really say I'm no longer a POW. I'm a free soldier. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go. So this is my conscious transformation very quickly started. I moved part of my business from New York to Dubai and to Doha, Qatar. And as I was doing business, I happened to get to know most of the Arabs there. There were Arab leaders, the Arab CEOs, the chairman, and so on. And I still kept some, at least a handful of uh, end-time message believers, friends, acquaintances that I could talk to occasionally. So I had a brother that I knew for a while in London. Um, he's originally from Pakistan. And um, I had a few Arab friends I'll go see. So one thing that specifically touched me was that as I went to see a sheikh, uh, sheikh is um, royal, part of the royal family, in Doha, during the sanctions that the Saudis imposed in Qatar. So I sat down with him, and how look at this gentleman, he's in line to be a king of Qatar. But he's wearing a sleepers and a burqa, like the, the, their clothes. So I'm trying, something is telling me, you know what, he's, a, he's part of the royal family, but so are you. If you only choose to go back in line, meaning if you are son of God, you're really a prince and a princess. So I was telling myself, how is this possible that I believe a true God, but I can never amount to this guy's achievement? So we're looking at each other, but that's what's going through my head. In that space, a brother from London sends me an email, said, by the way, we have brothers in Qatar and we're in Bahrain. Uh, these two countries are Arab countries. So you can't just go and preach someone about Jesus. It, it, it carries a death sentence if you do that. You can't. So he said, but there's something else in Pakistan. If you would like to come along, uh, then you can explain to the brothers in Pakistan about Christ. So there I have a dual personality. I'm effectively a captured individual out of a church, but with a seed of God. And some are telling me, you know what? You go with that seed, go preach in Pakistan. Whereby, if they catch you preaching a Muslim, there is a death sentence. You will get killed. And there is no amnesty about that. So I told myself, you know what, I need to go. So we went down to Pakistan. It was an amazing experience. I got received at the airport, uh, which I did not expect, was a car, but it had to be a bulletproof car. 
and that car happened to be owned by a former prime minister of Pakistan. Um, and he gave it to a senator, the only senator in a Pakistani government who happens to be a Christian. So they picked me up, so I'm like, this is a serious deal. Now, if I die today, where am I ending? You know, so we got to church. They were very happy to see me, especially a black guy. They don't see a lot of black people there. So I got in the church. One thing I noticed, the deacons were, were carrying AK-47. <laughs> so this is why. I'll get to that. I mean, this is why. In Pakistan, even if you're in your church, there's always a chance they will sneak in a kid with a suicide vest and blow the whole church up. So this is not a, a joke. This is a serious matter. So as I said in the church, I said, wow, I have all these freedoms to go to a church. I choose not to. But these people, they're putting their lives in line to go to a church. What decency do I have to even come and talk to them about God? So it happened as I went through the streets in Pakistan. Uh, people would come and say, pray for me. Because they just wanted someone that believed in Christ and pray for them. So those things came into play. So two years ago, it was a year, 2017, I entertained a business in Mozambique. Uh, she's from Mozambique, so I entertained a business there. So I flew to Mozambique, so I suspected that there would be a lot of mess of churches. So I said, as soon as I get to Mozambique, I'll reach out to the pastor, get baptized. So obviously, coming from New York, the easiest thing to do, Google. So I started Googling. Nothing appeared on Google. My mom never flew with me, ever, because I knew she would be annoying the whole trip through. So I told my mom, I decided to get baptized again. Truly, this time will count. But I want you to fly with me to Mozambique. We'll find a church. I want you to be there and be present in that moment. So we got to Mozambique. I couldn't locate a church. So we decided one morning, all the family was in a car. We drove to Nelspreet. So in Nelspreet, I assumed there would be a church there too. So I Googled around, nothing happened. So somehow I got a brother on the phone who said in Wheatbank, there is a church. So I didn't know which church, but I said, if there's a church, I'll Google it, see if I can find. So the only website that popped up was this church's website. So I got the numbers. I even spoke to you on the phone. I got the numbers. I said, let's drive. But I underestimated the distance. So we got here about 11-something. The church was ending. So we stood outside. My mom was there. She was there. We waited until the church was finished. We greeted everybody, and we left. So the baptism didn't take place, so there was a setback. So that whole fired-up moment got so cold. So I told myself, if I make it again, I'll try to reach out to the church. So I Googled a church in Pretoria, a very beautiful church. I said, we'll go there on the 31st, just, just the 31st. I'll see the pastor get baptized there. So we got to that church on the, on the Sunday before the end of the year. Nobody was at the church. So it was closed. They were on vacation. I was really, really sad. Really, really sad. I said, if this is not the devil, who is playing this game? <laughs> so I never assumed that Mesa Church will close out on holidays. So it did. So I went back to Mozambique and I drove back to Pretoria again. So this was the weekend in question, the last week. So I drove back, and I finished all my business in Pretoria. So I was in Senton, Nelson uh, Mandela Square. So I said, I need to wait two more days to get baptized. But are they even going to be there? So as I said, I procrastinated about that decision. Something told me, why don't you go to Wheatbank? Just go to Wheatbank. I even forgot about you, the church, because I was the only ones. So I go to Wheatbank. I packed my bags that same moment. 
jumped in the car, went back to the website, got Deacon David's uh, phone number, pastor's phone number. I think it was very early in the morning. I sent a message to Deacon David. I said, brother, I need to get baptized. No explanation. That's the whole thing I said. And I sent to brother David too. Amazingly enough, brother David responded and said, we'll make arrangements. That's the only thing he said. I said, wow, this is amazing. Pastor David said, yeah, we'll make arrangements. So as I drove, I had no clue how it's going to happen, what question will be asked, who's going to do it. I said, I'm just driving. So I got in a certain Friday, so I stayed here two nights, and Sunday morning, uh, I met uh, Brother Philip outside. He said, Brother, you have your car, wait outside, I'll go with you and get baptized. I said, this is really, really interesting. If it's this easy, why it took so long? So we got to Brother Philip's house, and I... As soon as I walked in, there was this beautiful garden and a beautiful swimming pool. I said, I couldn't have structured this myself. This had to be lined up from God himself. <laughs> so as I got in, some, I started thinking, I said, well, I need a picture of this. Then Brother Nelson popped up, and he said, I came to take a picture. <laughs> I said, I'm indeed a son of God. So I am blessed to be here this morning, and I can... Say quickly that I am indeed back and ready to fight, ready to battle. And I am hoping to come here as often as I can. In fact, I drove nearly 900 kilometers to get here. I was in my farm. I drove 500 and 400, so it was 900 kilometers just to get to the church. So I'm very happy to have this moment of salvation. Uh, if... I don't happen to see you as often as I intend to. I'm hoping that one of those mornings in heaven, I'll see every one of you. May God bless you all. So young people, have you heard if you are intending to live, don't live. Amen. Uh, even New York will never take away the desire for God. Amen. Wasn't it edifying? God bless you richly, my brother. Uh, welcome back. When the prodigal son came back, the father rejoiced. God bless you richly as we stand to our feet. I think it was it Brother Lassimo, how he came to know about this church. He as well went on Google, and it popped up, and then he came. Ever since he came, because he was looking for a place where he can worship, and then the website led him to the church. Amen. Amen. So you can see that for everything that is done, if it is done with the right motive, it will serve its purpose. Amen. And as I said, many a times we have referred people, uh, some in Cape Town, some in Durban, they were looking for a church. We are able to say, brother, uh, there is a pastor at such and such place, rush there and fellowship there. So the intention is not that people must worship in Wheat Bank. No, 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 no. It is to add to the body ministry. Amen. And the intention is not to uplift Pastor Madiba. It is to uplift Christ. 
Are you still with me? Are we together? I forgot. My brother is here. Just remind me that Kosa name. Yeah? Ah, Isa. Isa is God bless you. Yeah. Quickly, the brother will just say he's from Eastern Cape. He moved this. Uh, just announce what is your name over yes. here. My name is Pigolomzi. I'm from Eastern Cape. Next half. He's fellowshipping with us now here. God bless you. Amen. Amen. God bless you richly. So you'll be seeing our brother. He's now based at this site. Amen. Uh, you see how easy it is to reach with the website. Amen. So it is saving its purpose. Amen. God bless you, brother Eli. Mama, we appreciate you. We need such mothers in the message. Amen. Last week, my wife was uh, laughing. There is a, my flatmate phoned me, the one that I was sharing a, a room with or a flat with a, a tertiary, a Bongani Gaba. Then he's now based in Valley. He said, hey, 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 uh, Majiba, how are you? I said, I'm well. Then he said, yeah, I see now you are in the ministry. We lost contact over the years. We really thank God. I say, we really thank God. He says, no, but me, I thank your mother. I say, why my mother? He says, I still remember your mother. Every Sunday morning, 6 o'clock, the phone will ring and say, are you going to church? In the afternoon, she will phone and say, what did they preach about? I say, yeah. He says, you must give me your mother's number because her prayers kept you in the message. The prayer of that mother brought the brother back into the message. Uh, come on, mothers. Are, you, are there mothers in here? You've got uh, God honors the prayer of a mother. I, I'm, brothers, I'm not sure about brothers. But when it comes to the children, God honors the prayer of the mother. He actually says, if the mother prays a prayer and she gets buried, her prayer doesn't get buried. It rolls on and on and on and on. Ah, we need prayerful mothers. Amen. So I am the product of my mother's prayer. Uh, as Abraham Lincoln once said, so so we, we thank God. If you've got a, a godly mother in the message, ah, you've got gold. You've got gold. Amen. Uh, these mothers are, are quite a treasure. Amen. Let's just say... Uh, Go to this. Let's just say he knows my name and then we'll go to the scripture. Amen. One morning I expected that you will come to church and just rapture. Amen. The food that you prepare today at home, ah, they will just go stale but will be gone. Amen. I have a maker. I have a maker.
have a father in the building. scripture or we turn to our Bibles from the book of Psalm 78 is the chapter Psalm 78 is the chapter from verse 1 I'm going to speak on cultivating generational thinking this morning Cultivating generational thinking. If found is there on the screen, shall we read it together? Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. We invite everybody. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which you have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to, the, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. And his strength. And his wonderful works. That he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. And appointed a law in Israel. Which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. That they might set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God. 
but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that set not their heart right. And who in who and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Amen. Do we agree that God would want us to tell these things to our children? And they need to tell them to their children. It's a generational matter. In the book of Judges, verse two, chapter two, verse ten. Just to show you the flip side, if one generation does not teach the next generation, what are the consequences? And, all, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them. Which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. We as message believers, we need to make sure that this does not happen. Amen. We've got to teach the next generation what the Lord has done in this generation. Amen. That is why we need to teach our children all those hunting stories of Brother Brenham are very critical that our children should know them. Are you together? If somebody says they are tired of Brother Brenham's hunting stories, we get tired of such a person. Are you with me? They are as critical as can be. Brother, there is a quotation of Brother Brenham there in the message, the redemption. We're going to read it together. Redemption, it is there as a slide. Uh, Just bring it up so that before the believers sit down. Brother Brenham says, and you can repeat after me in paragraph 121, I was thinking today, as I was away praying, how that this is the day that we are going to have to answer for. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have to answer for the generation that was before me. Or the generation that will be after me. But in the judgment, I am to stand with this generation. Folks, you are not going to be responsible for the generation that came before you or the generation that will come after you. You are responsible for your generation. And if Brother Brenham was responsible, every one of us in the building, we are responsible. That is why I want to speak about cultivating generational thinking. How, how, do, you, how do you do things that outlive you as an individual? That 
go on to benefit even the people that were not born when you are around. Even before I preach, when one person backslides from the message, it is not only betrayal to their destiny, destiny, it is a betrayal to everybody that is linked to them. How many people came through individuals that are already in the message? Uh, if you were not here as a church, Brother Eli would not have come the way he came. That means you had to hold long enough until somebody comes at the appointed time. There are some people in your family, they would want to come back into the message, but they are watching you. And after a while, they may come and say, because of you, we are returning back. What would have happened had Brother Eli's mother backslid? The brother was gone. So uh, uh, we are going to speak about generational responsibility, cultivating generational thinking. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning. Sons of Zion have been sung. Testimonies have been given. There is only one person that deserves the glory. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this point in time, we are already edified to see what you can do, dear God. And Lord, we are praying for these people this morning. They have come here with great expectations. May you be gracious to them. May you edify them. May you encourage them. May you solidify them, dear God, that when they leave this place, they should leave this place spiritually recharged, knowing who they are in the kingdom of God. The word of God will never go forth and return void. It shall accomplish what it was sent for. Put me under the blood this morning that through me you can use me as a channel to speak to your people. The glory should not come to a man. It should go to the almighty God. I'm standing here and I say as you speak to them, speak to me as well. We are solemnly depending upon you this morning. Dear God, we pray for our children as well. We've had the testimony of our brother, how he left the message many years, but the message never left him. It tells us about the scripture that teach the children a way, although they may depart from that way, but that way shall never depart from them. The scriptures can never be broken, dear God. Help the parents this morning to understand the severity of their responsibility, especially in this generation. We commit everything to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you richly as you take your seats. Uh, I was just talking to Brother Beckett last night. He said I must pass his regards to the assembly. Amen. Those are some of our elders that we, we cherish so much. Amen. Uh, Brother Steve Francis just turned 70, was it a week or two last week? Brother Beckett turned 70 last month, uh, three weeks back. Amen. So we appreciate God for the elders. Amen. Do you appreciate God for the elders? Amen. Now, last week we were speaking on tapping uh, or we're speaking about the untapped resources of God. How many still remember? Yeah. The untapped resources of God. 
And there is a, a quotation that I read, and I was just telling brothers that this quotation, somewhat, it refuses to escape my mind. I'm quite captivated by this quotation. And I thought maybe for those that may have not been here, if we can just bring up that quotation, is in the message, the Queen of Sheba, uh, paragraph 8, the Queen of Sheba, paragraph 8, because I think I was fellowshipping with my wife, and she asked a question and said, uh, how, then how, how do we develop the mindset that Brother Branham, or the mentality that Brother Branham says he observed that it was lacking in India, and I said it is as well lacking on the African continent. And maybe that quotation, it went off something like that. It says in the newspaper, he was speaking about how the background is, he spoke about how uh, birds in India knew instinctively uh, what was going to happen before the earthquake happened. That is the background of the quotation but I'm not on that. But where I am, he spoke about 470 million people in India. I said the number is now sitting on 1.3 billion. And I did the fact check. It, it is indeed 1.3 billion. Just take it a little bit higher, brother. Uh, then he said, they, they know nothing but back. Amen. They know nothing but back. They've got plenty of natural resources, but not the mentality to develop it. All they know, he repeats the statement again, all they know is back and religion. Are you with me? Despite the abundance of resources, what lacks is not the resources, but the mentality to develop what they have. Are you with me? And naturally speaking, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be on the natural side, but I'm just going to show you certain things that are on the natural uh, that you can apply spiritually. Now, uh, brother, there is a, there is a, or maybe before I go there, Brother Bram says I'm not going to be responsible for the generation that came before me or the generation that will come after me. I'm responsible for my generation. Now, just to bring you to up to speed, there's somebody that spoke this way that if if you want one year of prosperity, grow grain. If you want 10 years of prosperity, grow trees. If you want 100 years of prosperity, grow people. Uh, are you with me? Um, now, while I'm there on generational speaking, I'm trying to uh, bring, put in the the foundation here. 
have you observed that the prior generation used to plant trees? They used to have first of September. It used to be an Abba day. Is it, do you still have it now? When we grew up, we went to school. First uh, September, we were planting trees. But you already you can see with the response that is coming from the young generation, no more tree planting. Uh, and the young people, you are beginning to see that this generation only live for today. They don't care about it tomorrow. And that is the danger about this generation. Are you with me? Now, I'm not going to, talk, I'm not going to cause a generational war. Uh, I hope there will be a generational harmony once I'm done. Because the parents would say, this generation is irresponsible. Look, they are useless. But, uh, and you tell them that in our day, this is what we used to do. The unfortunate part is that you, they are not living in your day. You are living in their day. Uh, did you catch that one? And Brother Brandon, in the message, in the message, uh, uh, the blushing prophet, he says, Mom, do you know that our daughters have got many, many demons to fight than what we had when we were growing up? Uh, are you with me? Uh, so you can look at them and say irresponsible, lost generation, but you know you don't know what they are up against. Uh, are you with me? But one thing that we're going to say that we are not ashamed to, to say, we, we are going to pray for our young people. We are not going to give up on our young people. I say we are not going to give up on our young people. I expected those that are generational thinkers to say amen to that. If, if, if there is no preservation of this generation, this message 10 years from now is gone. We've got to hand over the baton to them and they become responsible and run with it. As much as those that came before us handed over the baton to us. Amen. The baton has got to be handed over, whether we take it from the casket or what, but it has to go on. Amen. Because some, they hold it until we bury them, but we will not bury you with the baton. We take it and give it to the next generation. Amen. Now, before I come... uh, to when Abraham sent Eliezer to go and look for a bride for Isaac, there is something striking that he requested Eliezer to do. He says, put your hand upon my thigh. And when we went to check what, that, what did that symbolize, he was saying, Eliezer, you are going to choose a bride for my son, but you must understand that this decision has got a generational impact. Are you with me? Young man that gets married knows that my marital decision has got a generational impact. Hallelujah. A young woman that accepts a marital proposal knows that it is not about the wedding day. It is about the generation that I'm about to bring forth through this marriage. And while it in our time, young girls are more in love with the wedding day than the person that they marry. And the wedding day only lasts only four, five hours. If you are lucky, you've got a pastor that prolongs it. It might be six hours. 
but it does not go more than seven hours. After seven hours, we pack, we get into our cars, we leave you with that individual. And if you loved the wedding day, rather than loving the individual, it is your own business. Are you with me? No pastor in the message must ever force any young person to marry any person. And actually, if there is any person that can be an elder, pastor, deacon, or whoever that may try to make you with somebody, you just know that this person is a witch. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm going to say it for what it is. Amen. And actually, if I as a pastor would say to Mtimunyu, you need to marry sister so-and-so, it may be that I, myself as a pastor, I've got a last after that sister. I can't have her, so I'm sending the young man to go. It's a twisted mind. I'm preaching here, folks. A young man must make his own individual decision. So that later, 15 years down the line, we can say, you chose her. You chose him. Are you with me? If you are the type that gets excited that the sister so-and-so can get married to brother so-and-so, I tell you, you're going to be in trouble. Because it runs only a mile and they turn around and say, actually, uh, my intention was not to marry sister so-and-so. I wanted to marry sister so-and-so, but the pastor... You heard me. Amen. Now, I say... Then Abraham wanted Eliezer to understand the generational uh, impact of the decision and as well as the generational consequences of that decision. You, this morning, you can make a decision, or any other day, you can make a decision that may affect a generation that comes after you. Let's look at it in this manner. Rebecca meets a stranger, Eliezer, comes back with a stranger. The stranger narrates a testimony of how he was sent by his master looking for the bride and how God led him until he found Rebecca. Then later they said, Rebecca, let us inquire from the damsel herself. And when they inquired, they said, shall you go with this man? And Rebecca made a clear-cut decision. Yes, I will go with this man. And when she made a decision, the relatives prophesied and say, Rebecca, our sister, thou, thou, be thou the mother of millions, thousands and millions. It was a prophecy, but what happened today? Somebody made a decision. And they went further, they said, let thy seed possess the gates of its enemies. And I've preached many a times in this church that it was not a slingshot that brought Goliath down, but it was a blessing that was linked to Rebecca that brought Goliath down. And there are certain decisions that you are going to make as an individual. 50 years down the line, your children are going to benefit from that decision. And I'm saying this morning, let my children benefit from the decision that I made when I decided to follow the message of the hour. And let my seed possess the gates of its own enemies based on the decision that I made that yes, I will follow Malachi for. Are you still with me? Now, Brother, maybe when we speak about generation, just bring another slide there about generation before we get into the quotations. So people may... Brother, the Bible says the generation runs for 40 years. 
There's a slide there with some colorful stuff. There we go. Amen. Uh, I'm just giving you a background so that you understand why sometimes you don't understand mommy and mommy doesn't understand you. Amen. If you were born before 1946, before 1946, you are what we call the veterans, or in, they call them the matures. But if you were born from 1946 until 1964, you are what we call a baby boomer. Baby boomer, it means it was, I don't know whether it was it after the World War II, and there was a, an explosion of population around the globe. So the people that were born during that time, they call them the baby boomers. Are we together? Then if you were born from 1965 until 1980, you're what we call a Generation X. You'll understand the way as I go with someone why, why this is very important. Now, if you are born from 1981 until 1995, you are what we call the millennials, the generation Y. And those that were born from 1996 until 2010, we call them generation Z. And uh, we are yet to name this generation that was born from 2011 until 2025. Amen. But now we are on this generation. Now, here's something that you need to understand. And this is where I appreciate God. As we are speaking here, uh, just avoiding the risk of people divulging their age, I would not ask in terms of in which category you fall in. (laughs) However, what I like is, what, what, what is a struggle in many churches is that Pastors are looking at the millennials. There is an obsession that how do we retain this? That is why in most churches they've brought rock and roll back into the church because they think that entertainment is going to keep young people captivated. And here's here's something that you need to see. In, in, In most Pentecostal churches, it's very rare to find an old woman with a walking stick going to church. It's just only young people. Now, in the Catholic, they are, they are losing young people at a fast rate. It's only for the aged. But the beauty in the message, we have all these generations. I say we've got all these generations. And this morning... When I prepare my sermon, I'm not worried that will the generation X understand me? Will the generation Y understand? Will the baby boomers understand? There is one thing that I know. If it is a Holy Ghost inspired, the Holy Ghost will be able to address a person irrespective of which generation they belong to. Are you still with me? I hope we are together. Now, do you get it? Amen. Brother, go to, go to the message, the table. Just go to the software, the table. There is something that I want us to see 
just go to the very first spoken word and the very first sentence in that spoken word. Yes. When you search the message, this is the, this is the very, very first statement that Brother Brenham says on tape. We are getting some new gadgets for recording. This statement, you may just think it's, a, it's just an innocent statement. It was Brandon Tabernacle maybe getting uh, 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 a recording gadget so that the record, whatever was going to be spoken. But uh, this to me, it's very profound. This was the prophet of the age that whatever it is going to be spoken is going to go on record. Are you still with me, people? Within this statement, you are now getting at the back part of mind of the prophet where he realized, I'm not going to be here for long. But when I'm gone, there must be something that is on tape that can sustain not only my generation, but even the generation that will come after me. That is why the tapes are good for baby boomers. The tapes are good for Generation Y. The tapes are good for Generation Z. The tapes are good for any generation that will come after the rapture. At no point in time are we going to say we are done with the tapes. Are you still with me? We can be better and move the tape and move from the tape to the CD, from the CD to the DVD, from the DVD to the memory stick. But as long as that voice remains, it is sufficient. How many believe that the tapes are still important even now? Are you still with me? So, for me, when I look at this statement, it told me that Brother Brenham was not just only thinking about the current time. He was not only thinking about Brenham Tabernacle. And actually, when you go and check into the message, he says, down the line, I see in a vision in the jungles of Africa, there are, there are some funny things that they've put into their ears listening to the tape. And he was referring to your earphones. Are you still with me? Amen. Maybe while you are there, brother, there is another slide. Uh, that shows countries. I just need that slide. There we go. You may not see, but I'll tell you. Your politicians are evil. Uh, amen. Your politicians are evil. I'll say that until the whole church say amen. Your politicians are evil. Hallelujah. I don't care whether black, white, dark, blue, they are evil. Brother Brenham says, uh, this, this is the slide that I'm showing how politicians have mortgaged the future of the children. When we say you mortgage the future, that means you borrow money and eat money now. But uh, that money will be paid by the generations that are going to come 40 years later. So that means you eat the taxes that are going to be collected 60 years from now. You eat those taxes now. Are you still with me? 
Brother Bram says in this message, lean, lean not unto their own understanding. Paragraph 78. He says, we are busted in this generation. Just about. We are borrowing on tax that will be paid in 40 years from now. They tell me. So they said on Lifeline, sorry, as taxes we are spending now will be paid 40 years from now. My little grandson, if Jesus tarries, the taxes that he will pay when he is 40 years old, we are spending on it now. Spending, sending to foreign aid and our own Indians and things, starving to death, trying to buy fellowship, you don't buy fellowship. You don't buy a friend. That's what we are doing. That's the way we are set up. Texting people to do everything they can onto. Tax, tax, hallelujah. That is why they say, if it moves, uh, regulate it. Hallelujah. If it keeps on moving, tax it. That's what the politicians are doing. So, the money that they are spending now, when you hear about the corruption and what, what, it is money that is going to be collected gener generations from now. So what, are, what am I saying? The decisions that are taken today are going to have an impact on people. Some of them are not yet born. When you are a generational thinker, you are thinking about if I make this decision, what is the impact on the generation thereafter? I'm just simply telling you that uh, the whole world, you can bring up that map. America is even worse. Where is it? America, almost 103% of, of, of GDP of America is debt. You look at South Africa, 39% of the GDP is debt. The whole nations, the main, many nations are under the burden of debt. You know what is going to happen? Somebody has got to re rescue the global economy. And it cannot be America because it's overburdened. And you look at China as well. It is burdened. But there is only one institution that is not under a burden. That is Roman Catholic. And that means for, for, the, for that woman to bail out all these nations, then they've got to introduce the new world order. That means that they've got to regard any other gospel that preaches the true gospel to be a hate speech. Are you still with me? That is why you will be forbidden to participate in the economy unless you adhere to the new world order. But I'm here to tell you, we are not going to adhere to the new world order. Not at all, folks. Because when the world economy closes, the heavenly economy will open. Are you still with me? Believers will speak things into existence and things will materialize. And actually, I say, Satan, when are you closing the world economy? Because we want to see what God is about to do. Because we real believers, we are not afraid of showdown. Actually, we, we appreciate showdown because it is in the showdowns where you see the almighty God. Never be afraid of a showdown. Brother Branham said, if you want to see God, bring him down to a showdown. Yes. Elijah brought God to a showdown and said, if Baal is God, serve Baal. But if God is God, serve God. But it's going to be settled today. 
And we are saying, if there is a settlement that needs to happen in the end time, we are more than willing to say, Pope, take your position. America, take your position. Russia, take your position. But the bride, take your position. But we will never bow down to any man. I want to repeat that statement. Yes, there will be people that will sell us in the message. The Judases are going to rise. That will visit in the middle of the night. And say, I have got, I've got the geography or address of all message churches. It's not going to come externally. It's going to come internally. Remember, when you aspire to be like Jesus, know that Jesus had Judas. That's the only part a lot of people don't see. They only see when he speaks things and things multiply. There is Judas. And there are going to be Judases of the message. I say, I know what I'm talking about. There's a young man. Do you allow me to preach? A young man was talented, a very talented song leader. Musically inclined in the message. And he received a sum of money from somewhere. And after he received that sum of money, then he started saying, William Brenham is a false prophet. But money came first. The finances were sorted. And where the source of the money comes from, you don't know how the Jesuits operate. Are you with me? But I'm glad there is a predestinated seat that will never sell out. They will hold on to this message until the end. Are you with me? And if you are a cheap Christian that will sell your birthright for a gravy, we are not that type of a Christian. We've got a backbone and will remain standing until the rapture. Are you still with me? Now, I want to speak, maybe just to give you an analogy so that maybe it can provoke certain thoughts in your mind. There's an old man that I'm told of who had a house on the other side of the mountain and had a field on the other side of the mountain. There was a mountain between the mo- his house and the field. Now, this mountain was quite a stumbling block every time when they had to go and plant and harvest. They would have to f- navigate around this mountain, which was quite a nuisance to them. Until one morning, the old man decided that, look, I'm just tired of this mountain. This mountain has got to be destroyed. And he woke up his two sons. He had two sons and he said, sons, today we need to wake up. We are going to destroy the mountain. And he got his chisels and they went to the mountain and started stone by stone. Now while they were busy, a neighbor went past, a certain man went past and this passerby asked and said, gentlemen, what are you doing? And the old man said, no, we are destroying this mountain. Now, to the passerby immediately, it became apparent that this may be a case of a mental case. How can three men destroy a mountain? Now, he said, old man, I think you have lost your mind. There is no way that you can destroy this mountain. But uh, the elder... The father of the children said to the passerby, look, you may not understand what we are trying to do. I'm fully aware that in my lifetime, I will not destroy this mountain. 
And I'm as well aware that my children in their lifetime will not destroy this mountain. But there is one thing that I know. If I cultivate the spirit of destroying the mountain in my children, and they cultivate the same spirit in their children, and they as well do that to their children, and it runs from generation to generation, one of the generation will see the destruction of the mountain. What was happening? This man had a long-range vision. He knew that certain things cannot be achieved now. But if we plant that spirit in our children, they will plant the same spirit in their children, and one of the generations will see the destruction of the mountain. I may not see the coming of the Lord today. I may not see the coming of the Lord in my generation. But if I cultivate the spirit of expectation in my children, and they cultivate the same spirit in their children, one of my generation will see the coming of the Lord. I'm saying, you've got to think generationally. Don't only think, and let me tell you, God blesses generational thinkers. If you, whenever you go to God and you say, God, me, 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 God actually gets irritated with such believers. But whenever you say, this is what I'm doing, and this is how it will help your cause, not only for me, not only for my family, not only for the community, but for the generation that will come, uh, such a person, God is more than willing to bless them. But how many times do we go to God and say, I, 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 until God says, this person has got a serious case of I, I disease. Bring the scripture in the book of Acts 13, verse 36, my brother. Acts 13, verse 36. You can read it together. For David, after he had saved his own generation by the will of God. I want to ask you, how are you saving your generation? David, after he saved his own... And, and when I read the scripture, I say, God, allow me... I'm not correcting the Bible, but I think David did not only save his own generation. He is still saving many generations thereafter. Because I look at the book of Psalm, they are still, I'm still blessed when I read the books of David. I'm blessed when I read about the life of David. So I'm saying, are you the kind of a believer that can have an impact on the next generation? It says, for David, after he had saved his own generation by the will of God. Fell on sleep, and was laid our laid unto his fathers, and so corruption. Are you still with me? Hallelujah! David had saved his generation. Now, let me sensitize you to something here that Brother Branham spoke about in the message. Just check the quotation. It is in the message, Come and Follow Me, paragraph 44. Parents, I want you to listen to this attentively. Brother Brum says, do you know what? 86% 
of the conventions to Jesus Christ are done before 21 years old. 86% of people come to the Lord Jesus Christ before they are 21. When you are a parent and your child has not yet come into the Lord and they are, near, they are approaching 21, you need to get very jittery. You need to be on your knees. He says, it shows it, statistics shows it, 86% that come to Christ come before they are 21. You, after you pass that age, you become more molded and set in your ways. It's possible, sure, they come 78 years old, but it's a very rare thing. You make yourself, you make yourself when you are young, you set your ambitions to what you want to do and what you are trying to achieve in life. You think of it as, and as you think, of course, your mind is presented into your mind by an unknown something that dominates your mind. Then when it, come, when it becomes in your mind, then you speak it, that you are going to do it. Then your ambitions drive you to it. So Brother Brown says, before a child can make their own ambitions and what they are trying to achieve in life, it is very much, in, we need to encourage them to accept the Lord Jesus Christ first because 86% of them come to the Lord Jesus Christ before they are 21. What does it mean, folks? It means this thing of having young people in the message, uh, I, 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 I mean, I get to see in certain assemblies a 60-year-old is still leading songs. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But where are the young people? Uh, are we together? We've got to hand over the baton. And, and you are only a good... How we know that you are a good leader? We know after you have departed. If what you are trying to build crumbles after you have departed, you are a bad leader. And that is why, if you are a deacon, you've got to find a young man that you groom to be a deacon. If you are a pastor, you've got to find a young man that you groom to be a pastor. Whatever you do for the Lord, you must pass it to the next generation. And I might take it to somebody here. Amen. Are we together? Because like it or not, the reason our hair, I was checking my hair, I've got a, a sprinkle of gray hairs, I say, goodness, I'm aging. What is happening? It is a sign that whether I like it or not, at some point in time, I'm going to pass away. But before I go, what am I doing to build and capacitate the next generation? What wisdom do we pass on to the next generation? And if we are not passing what do we know to our children, then our testimony was in vain. Amen. I see people are watching me, but I'm going to preach. Amen. Now, brother, bring something here. I was in Venda, and when I was there, I was talking to the pastor, and he was telling me about how the community was struggling with water. Now, I said, Pastor, 
if the community is struggling with water and you have a church here, how are you going to help the community other than preaching to them? How are you going to help them with water? Now, somebody may be sitting there and say, ah, what does the message church have to do with water? Stay with me. Brother Brenham says, and I'll tell you what I said to the pastor. I said, pastor, it's very simple. You've got a borehole. Set a day during the week where you allow the community to come and fetch water from the church. You don't pay for water because they're extracted from the ground. Give the community water free of charge. Show the community that this church is not in isolation, but is part of them. It is their church. And I've realized that a lot of times, we as missions believers, we don't have impact on the community because we isolate ourselves. We pretend that what troubles the community doesn't trouble us. If we bring water our bed, they affect you whether you're a believer or not believer. And if you as a believer, you've got the solution, the best thing is to raise your hand and say, I can help the community. And the reason I'm helping the community is because I'm a child of God. Then the people will begin to wonder and say, what manner of man man is this? And they will want to know about your values. Then you can point them to say, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? This one, we're going to read it together, brother. In the message, show us the Father. I don't have, or maybe, yeah, message, show us the Father, paragraph 20, if we make it 24. He preached this on the 9th of June, 1962. Show us the Father. Twenty-four. There we go. Brother Brum says, let's read it together. Now, there is just two ways to approach anything. My brethren. brethren. That's the right way and the wrong way. way We don't have gray area. Either uh, something is right or wrong. Are we together? Uh, Not that, no, if I explain it to you, you'll understand. No, no, no. Either the right way or the wrong way. And you say, may I stop here a moment in my story? And say, and say, I think that's what's the matter with me. And many of us, brethren, we've got a great product here. What is the product? The message of the hour. How many believe that we've got a great product? He said, we've got a great product here. Ah, you can read better than that. We've got a great product here. We've got a great product here. 
But we are approaching the public wrong with it. That's the prophet. How many agree with the prophet? Are you with me? He says, we are approaching the public wrong with it too much. I know because it's the hitting us, we will not read it, but we're going to read it. But we are approaching the public wrong with it too much. Making us isolationists. That means we've got a tendency to isolate ourselves. Are we together? Pretend that things that affect them do not affect us. Are you still with me? He says, see, it, it's, it will sell itself. Just leave it. This message will sell itself. You just leave it. You are the salt of the earth. And salt, as long as the server is not in the salt, it will save if, if it contacts. But if it's lost its server, no matter how loud we shout down here, and how much we jump up and down, there's got to be a life out here that begs, begs that up. But uh, the phrase that I want to catch here is, we've got a great product, but we are approaching the public wrong with it too much, making ourselves isolation. We isolate ourselves. Now, here is what I want to say, and you will bear with me. If whatever you do, in your professional life, personal life, if you want God to bless it, make it a platform to advance the gospel. Uh, I shared a quotation with Brother Mitlavi the other time where a doctor was speaking to Brother Brenham and Brother Brenham said to the doctor, says, you will see how you succeed with your patience when you make the Lord Jesus Christ your partner. Are you with me? There is that quotation. Now, let's put it this way. If you make your platform, whatever you do, a platform to serve God, and you make it, you make it your objective, it's not here, brother, and you make it your objective that this is the platform, and th- through this platform, I'm going to advance the kingdom of God. God is obligated to bless you. Are you with me? Maybe let me talk to you. If you've got a crash, and it is just a crash where you just see that ah, here we just take the children and we teach them Dora Malama, whatever you teach them, and it ends up there. God is not a, a part of it. But if you say through this crash, I want to shape the minds, I want to mold the godly character. God is obligated to be part of that crash and is obligated to bless it no matter what happens. But many a times what we do and what we do in church, we make them to be far apart until God says that that's your own business and if you've got issues, it's your own issues. I'm saying, let us bring God in our personal lives. Are you with me? 
a lot of times uh, I was at, I think Brother Dipadi in his shop there, the mall has got a literature about the message there. And I, I'm, whenever I visit these brothers' places, I get wowed. I get there, I see the literature of the message right at Highfield Mall. I say, that's what we need. You go to Brother I don't know how he bypassed the franchise laws because normally they don't allow that. You walk in, there's the picture of the brother Brenham in a franchise store. You walk out, there is the picture of the cloud. Are we together? You go to brother Matlabi's practice, a medical doctor. I was there the other time I sat in the reception. Guess what the book that I saw? The mystery of the serpent seat in the doctor's office. Then I say, these brothers, they've caught the mystery that whatever we do, we are not going to isolate our profession from our faith. We're going to tally them together. Don't you think that God is obligated not to shame you? When you invite him and give him prominence in your faith, he is going to bless you. Are you still with me? And we can show the world that we are able to do. Sister Maria, how many, how many, I don't know, how many souls came into the message because of the bicycle shop? Amen. And I'm saying, she's not running the bicycle shop, she's running a mission that disguises as a bicycle shop. Oh, you have heard me. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you need something from God, link it to God's objective. And say, it's not only for me, it's not only for my family, but I want to impact the community. Not only the community, but a generation that comes after. But here is a problem. They've got the mentality. They've got an abundance of resources, but not the mentality to develop it. Where is it? Give me that container, brother. Yeah, I've got two containers. If I pour into this container, what happens if I keep on pouring and keep on pouring? This is going to overflow. Then if it overflows, what do I need? Another one. Here's the problem. The reason your continent does not advance forward is because this will be another men's container. And this will be God's blessing in that container. Somebody will be sitting there and say, no, 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 no. How do we destroy that container? Not knowing that, no, let it be filled up. If it overflows, maybe my container is next. I'm, I'm talking about the mentality here. If somebody blesses somebody, don't sit there and be bitter. Just say, God, at least you are in the neighborhood. There's a saying that jealousy is a freedom of fools, and I agree with that. Are you with me? A real believer, and even a believer that is blessed, is not saying, it's only, he says, oh God, how can what you are doing, how can it overflow to other people that they become like me? There's an Indian man. I think you, you know, they, they speak about uh, the commission that is busy there where they are busy with state capture shared by Judge Zondo. Judge Zondo, I saw a clip where he was speaking that when he was a young man, he came from a very poor family. 
And he couldn't figure out how he was going to take care of his mother because the norm then is that as soon as you finish whatever level of school, you need to live and go and work and provide it to, the fam- to your family. And maybe even pay for the fees of your siblings. Now, he says as soon as he matriculated, he had to go to varsity. But what troubled him was that how was he going to sustain his mother while he was studying adversity. But he says, somewhat, he decided to go to a certain man called Uncle Musa who owned a supermarket today. And he explained the situation to Uncle Musa that, listen, this is what I want to do. I don't have ways of how I'm going to take care of my mother. Uncle Musa said to Judge Zondo, he was not a judge, small boy, then he said to him, he said, listen, young man, you go to school. You tell your mother every month, this is what she needs to come at the supermarket to get a grocery for her and your siblings. Once you graduate, I will write everything on the book. Once you graduate, you can come and pay it off as soon as you get employed. Then he says it went on for over four years. And he says after four years, after he graduated and, matric- uh, graduated and got employed, he returned back to Uncle Musa to tell him that now I want to settle the bill. Uncle Musa says, don't settle the bill. I have done this to you to teach you to do it unto others. When I listen to the story, I say, Uncle Musa was very wise man. Because had he told him that, no, you're not going to pay. I'm just doing it for Chances that this young man may have not been focused at school. But he wanted to instill a sense of responsibility, not a sense of entitlement. And I believe that the lesson that he taught the young man, he will go far with it in life. No wonder he's a deputy chief justice in this country. It's because it, the character was molded there. Young people, don't just be entitled. Don't just think for now. Think for tomorrow. Think for next year. Think for the next generation. That If I do something like this, how will it affect the next person? I hope this is going somewhere. Amen. Because we live during a time where people only live for themselves. I had, brother, bring this quotation. I had another young man saying, changing from 2018 to 2019 is useless. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a change of calendar. Then I realized that uh, this young man there is a problem. Either he's lazy or he's not doing anything worthwhile in life. Because a change of calendar, it means that we're able to measure where we are going in life. So if you don't care about the measurements, that means you're not doing anything. Bring this. This one, we're going to read it together. As the eagle stirreth up her nest, he preached this on the 4th of August, 
As the eagle stirreth up her nest, it was preached on the 4th of August, 1960. Let's go to paragraph 22. Okay, there we go. You're going to read it with me. I haven't got much hopes for a pastor's church. If somebody said I didn't have hope, that means he regards you as hopeless, isn't so? Yeah. I haven't got much hopes for a pastor's church. That hasn't got ambitions to better themselves day by day. And year by year. So that means, and he goes further to speak about how the Church of the Living God needs to improve. So, young men, even I as a pastor, if you don't improve from year to year, I don't have much hopes for you. I expect an amen on that one. Brother Masuma saw another young man. I don't know where is he from. Then he, he, he texted me and said, Hey, Pastor, look at the results of this young man. I know you're going to be impressed. I said, Certainly, I'm going to. The young man just had distinctions. I said, You know why I'm impressed? It's because if, our, if a young man passes with distinctions, he's telling me that he's focused on the right things because you're not running around with women, you're not drinking. What, then what do you do with your time? I cannot, I cannot find you failing. Well, and I know young people in the message, they hate me for that, and I don't care. Brother, after you have told me about how God opened the seven seals, I need to find whether your life has got a direction. Because, tell me, if you are, if you are 25, 25, you have dropped out of school. Yes. Dropped out of school at grade 10. Now, how are you going to testify to a young man who's not a believer at the age of 25 is an engineer? He's got his own house. He's got his own car. He's got a direction where he's going. I want to tell him, he's go- the first thing he's going to ask is, what are you doing? No, you see, oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. But if you say, listen, young man, I could have run around with women, but I listened to my parents. I could have been drinking and smoking. I listened to my parents. I go to church. I'm a sober man. Look at what God has done. He has blessed me. And by blessing me, I'm telling you, if you accept my Lord, you will receive the same degree of sobriety. Then you've got an effect. The problem is that we have accommodated too much laziness in the message under the disguise of spirituality. I don't tolerate that. No, 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 no. After you have quoted this and that, I will ask, what are you doing? Because why? I need to see an improvement from year to year, from day to day, from week to week. Are we together? Pastor Chizini, the other time I heard him say, it is harder to pray than to study. It is much easier to study than to pray. So if you are not studying, it tells us that even if you pray, you will not make it. 
I'm telling you. And your laziness is going to affect your children. It's going to affect their children. And you have affected the entire generation. And you are sitting there and say, hey, I'm very spiritual. The Bible says, why don't you look at the ants and learn from them? You sluggard. In this church, we don't all tolerate laziness here. We want to be renowned men of substance and women of substance that are respected by the community so that they can ask us and say, guys, how are you doing what you are doing? Then we can turn around and say, don't you know, God sent a prophet in the end time. That is why we are as upright as we are. But if we become very mediocre, until they know that other church is a bunch of young men, they don't do anything. All they do, they'll tell you about the Bible, but they don't work. We are contradicting God. Our prophet, even when he was preaching and had a gift, he used to work for public service. How many remember that? There was a time where he was even selling uh, uh, lamps, lamps, lights. You remember? Oh, we together. There is no room for laziness in the message. Absolutely, there is no room. You cannot hide behind quotations. You cannot hide behind the scripture. We will penetrate through that. Say, young man, no, 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 no. Do something here. No young man shall fellowship with me without going to school here. I will ask you the question, what are you doing? Sleep until 11 o'clock. I've got, I've got no, I haven't got much hopes for a pastor share that hasn't got ambitions to better themselves day by day and year by year. I like it when brothers come into my office and say, Pastor, this is what I'm planning to do. Can you pray with me? They say, Brother, let's pray. Because I know if the motive is right and the, purpose, the objective is right and it's for the right purpose, God will bless you. And through that, God will glorify his name. Amen. How many know that uh, Paul was a tent maker? And normally you guys, when you think about tent, you think the ones that they pitch for the funerals in the location. No, no, no. Real tents. During that time, tents were houses. How many know that? That means he was in the property business while preaching the gospel. And some young men, they think as that as soon as they start preaching, they say, no, I will not do anything. Oh, goodness. Amen. You need to work. Hallelujah. I'm prepared to work at any time. You know why? It be, as a minister, it makes you to be independent from money influence. Are you with me? And you can preach the convictions of the God. Brother Bram says, I'm, I'm ready to return to public service anytime. That means he was not preaching based on what is happening in the Sunday collection. He was independent in his convictions. That's what the gospel requires. Amen. You'll bear with me. Today I'm all over the place, but for right purposes. Amen. Now, brother, there is another quotation. Hey, this one. Hey, I'll give it to you. 
Okay. Just bring it up in this message twelve. Amen. Eleven of eleven. Let's bring it up in the message. I think it is he was to pass this way. One page here. Okay. Uh, six. You'll bear with me. We'll find it. I want us to read that one. Yeah. In the message, Jehovah Jireh. He preached that on the 17th of April, 1959. And I want to challenge our young men and young women on this continent. This, we have received so much from America. This software was designed in America. The table. Books that we have read, compilation of quotations from America. When are we sending things to America? I'm, I'm saying, don't we have programmers on this continent? Right now, I think it is young men at Brother Ed Biska. They've, they've brought what they call the message hub. That means they've created a portal where no matter where you are, you can be able to read the message and translate it into your own language and upload it on the message hub and they go through it for approval then it gets there, it gets approved there so that the message is translated in all languages. So I'm saying this message hub in America was designed by young people in the church. They came to the pastor and said, this is what we can do for the message community. I'm saying, you here in Africa, what are you going to do for the message on a global scale? Or are we going to keep on... I hear even some preachers when they go to America, the first thing that they say, they say, I'm from Africa, we don't have clothes. Nonsense! No, 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 no. Those days are past. And the mentality to back must go away. We must say, God has given us the resources. Has he not given Americans two hands? We've got two hands. Has he not given them two eyes? We've got two eyes. And we've got more resources than they have. And actually, we are the ones that must send stuff to them. But we need the mentality to develop it. Oh, maybe this is, I can be very honest with you why I, I, we have decided to, to have a website. Websites, I know Brother, brother Biscal has had a website for a number of years. Brother Donny Reagan has had, Brother Tim Prude. And I saw how most believers on this continent would go to their websites and download. Then in me I say, when are they downloading from our websites? When are we showing the world that we are running parallel, toe by toe? If they preach the message, we preach exactly the same message. Then I say, we as Lighthouse will have a website. We'll update it on Wednesday, Sunday, twice a week without a fail. 
Guess the, the second country that downloads from our website is the United States of America. Over 90,000 messages have been downloaded. What is happening? If they can do it, we can do it as well. Folks, it is not the size of the fight that matters. The size of the dog is the size of the fight in the dog. And, uh, and we're not, I mean, you listen to Brother Barrero, he preached, you listen to brother, the brothers that Brother Mutlavi, they preach. It's not only me, uh, brothers in this message, in this church, they can preach pure messages. That can be listened until people send in emails, not because the pastor preached. Brother Sven so blessed me when he preached. What is happening? If they can do it, we can do it. I know sometimes when you develop confidence, some people, they confuse it for arrogance. It's not arrogance. No, 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 no. Bring it, brother. Paragraph 144. Brother Allah, you're in America. Can we do it as well in Africa? Oh, yes. But we need the mentality. You know what's happening? Where is Brother Zbusi? Brother Zbusi, who would know? There's what we call the art of consistency. The problem, the, when, you ri- when you need the right mentality, if, if you need to save money, the sister Tavison would know, if you save only 100 rands around March because you've got bonus and can only save after in November, you only have 400. But if you are consistent that it will be 100 rand, 100 rand per month. Consistency, when you look at it cumulatively, you've got bigger results. The problem is that not many people are consistent. Not many people are consistent. And Satan loves inconsistency. He wants us to have good service, but he knows that no, it's not going to be like this next week. He, he likes these fluctuations. But the scripture doesn't say like, it says he will move me from glory to glory, from power to power, from revelation to revelation. So I'm not interested in the upswings and downswings. No, no, no. If you're going to do something for God, be consistent. Are you with me? Is it, you call it the moth? Is it the moth? Where the insects come and build a moth. How they build that big a mountain for them, it's about consistency. Take one material, put it, one material, put it. And when you check it over time, cumulatively, it has an impact. God is not interested in one moment wonder. Consistency. David was consistent. Servants of God are consistent. Daughters of God are consistent. Amen. Amen. Now, you're funny, brother. Uh, did I give you? I haven't given you a paragraph because I don't have a paragraph here. But okay, what are we gonna do? He says, you know, the main thing. He says the main thing with our message. If you don't find me, just say presented. Yeah, there it is. There it is. 
Oh, no, no, just a sec. The, the one here on the bottom. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, let's read it together, brethren. Just go. We're going to start here. He says, you, you know, the main thing is with our message. It's not the message that's hindering. Is the way it is presented sometimes. The message is not hindering. Here, I want you to understand something. I've had people preach, and I've had people share the word with unbelievers. And when they do, it's as if they were never sinners. It's like they just dropped out of heaven and say, hello, we've received the message. And this unbeliever, she hears good, good, good news. But they are presented by an angel who's got no experience about what they are talking about. Then he wonders, says, this is too good for me. I cannot leave such a thing. It needs only angels. There is a reason why God did not make you a believer as soon as you are born. There is a reason why he made you a sinner. So that you can relate with sinners. And tell them that I was exactly like you. But God sent the message and the message brought me out of my condition. And if it did it for me, it can do it for you. But a lot of us, we don't want to share our brokenness. We don't want to share our vulnerability. We want to share our angelic part. Until when a sinner is amongst believers, he says, goodness, I feel out of place. These people, they were born in the right family. Everything is going right. No. No, no, no. The same grace that we need to extend, we have received the same grace. Oh, folks, there are many of you that are sitting here that don't deserve to sit here. I understand what I'm talking about. Yes, you've got Bibles, you've got long dresses, you've got spoken word, but many of you don't deserve the seat where you are sitting. It is only by the grace of God that you are sitting where you are sitting. And when we remove grace, you are not different from the woman that is on the streets. Are you here, people? How many sinners were here before they came into the message? And how many angels were here before the message came their way? In counseling, when, you, when they deal with counseling, and uh, I've, uh, over the years I realized that as a pastor, the, the, the resource that you have as a pastor is the people that you pastor. People come to you as a pastor, they share different experiences, what they've been through. And as soon as somebody comes and says, Pastor, I've got this problem, and I'm struggling with this problem. As a pastor, you already know somebody that had the same problem, and by God's grace, they overcame. Then you are able to say, because in all fairness, hear me out, sisters. And that's why I don't believe that this thing of pastors being jack of all trades, I don't believe in that nonsense. 
if a young girl comes into the pastor's office and say, Pastor, I'm giving an example. When I was young, I was raped. The most dangerous thing that I can do as a pastor is to pretend like I understand. Because I don't understand. What must I do? And I cannot relate as a man. I cannot relate to that woman. Because even my, me just being a man, reminds her of her trauma. So what must I do? I must get another woman and say, Sister, do you mind to speak to this sister? And you speak woman to woman and encourage one another. It is much effective than for me to pretend to be a jack of all trades. What I'm simply saying, a broken person can only relate to a broken person. And if you, and that is why, many a times, I've had people that have never even mourned a dog trying to comfort somebody who's mourning a loved one. And they say, but it's, it's been over a year. Get over it. Nonsense. When has it ever said when you've got pain, pain has got an expiry date? Even 30 years later, I can be able to say, I miss my daughter. But if you say, ah, but it's a long day. And I've had people trying to comfort people. A sister loses a baby. And other people say, God will give you another baby. Are the babies the same? I'm saying, God, some of you, I, I, I get people coming into my office say, Pastor, why did not I accept this message when I was still young? This is so good. I could have avoided so many trouble. I say, no, God wanted you to go through that trouble. Because why? Your experience will be relatable to somebody. Because if none of the people have got, if unbelievers have got no one that they can refer to in the church, they cannot say, no, us, we're not made for that. But if we show them and say, no, hang on, here's a brother that was a drug addict. God delivered him. Then another drug addict, on the basis of that testimony, he knows that goodness, it is possible. And when a human being seizes a possibility, then you are bound to see somebody that is about to change their lives and their environment. And uh, here, let me put it this way. You can never share a testimony without revealing your vulnerability. Some testimonies, I just reject them because I just see a hero. There are these brothers a hero in this testimony. And we don't need heroes. God is not a hero in this testimony. And some I reject them because I only see somebody trying to make me as a pastor a hero in their testimony. I'm not a hero. The Lord Jesus Christ is a hero. Are, are you here? Yes, so if somebody says, I mean, hear the brother, how he presented the testimony, it revealed his vulnerability. Firstly, he cannot show you how great God is until he tells you that I was in the message. I left the message. I was a backslider. I went to the bar. I'm no good, but God has brought me back. A real testimony has got our vulnerability. If a testimony comes, say, hey, Pastor, you know, I was at work. They were trenching people, but because me, I'm clever and I speak better English. Ah, there, brother. You, this one, you can share it with your wife. We don't want such nonsense in church. It doesn't glorify God. A testimony. 
God must have the preeminence in a testimony. Uh, are you here? We are molding the next generation. Parents, don't be afraid to, to tell your daughter that mommy was not always a believer. Mommy was a headache to her mommy. But by the grace of God, mommy found the Lord. Mommy knows how to party. Mommy once was a party animal. But by the grace of God, God delivered mommy from being a party animal. Now, the child knows that if she delivered, if he delivered my mommy, he will deliver me. But we like to be heroes. Oh, I remember 40, you know, 30 years ago, we used to go to a convention. You young ones, you don't have patience. You know, at our conference, there were no beds. We were sleeping on the floor because we loved the Lord. Hero. Until the child realized that I cannot measure up to this heroic act. And because God will humble you, as long as your child has not received the new birth, they will express what you used to be before you came into the message. Until you see that, ah, that if it is not the, by the we, we, grace of God, it was going to be me. Yeah. Are we together? Amen. Even I, I mean, I hear, I hear some pastors, they preach, you say, goodness, this pastor just dropped out of heaven with the ladder straight to the pulpit. No, no issues, no challenges. Are we together? And me, me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a trouble. I cause trouble from time to time. When I'm around the pastors, I'll just start a topic that, that provokes the vulnerability. You should see how some of them, they just duck. Because my experience as a pastor, what has been the struggles in your ministry? Oh, brother. Because struggles will reveal women's weakness. And will reveal vulnerability and will reveal how you depended on God. I, I'm not moved by heroic stories myself. I want somebody to say, ah, there, Pastor. I mean, a brother told me the other time, said, Pastor, you know, my child was sick. We had no medical aid. We could not go to the hospital. I had no car. And it was in the middle of the night. At that very moment, at, the mid, at midnight, I realized that my only hope is in God. Then when I hear such a testimony, I say, this is edifying. But if I hear a testimony that, you know, my wife phoned me, I was at work, and I said, check with specialists. And so I started, we don't present them here. Amen. Does it help, folks? Bring the quotation again, brother. I want us to read it. You know, the main thing is with our message. It's not the message that's hindering. It's the way it's presented sometime. Your child is wearing something that is not appropriate. And you say, ah, what will other sisters say, church? you are instilling a sense of hatred in the child. In her mind, the things, mommy does not have a problem. It's only those fellas at church that have got a problem. 
But if you say, you know, my child, mommy loves you. You are the best daughter in the world, whole world. And mommy wants you to be presentable. You only, you represent yourself and you represent mommy. And mommy wants to be proud of you. And in this family, this is how we dress. You are bound to get better results than to say, what will Pastor Madiba say? And as soon as the child comes in, the first thing he say, when I'm there, he looks and says, I don't need to go this side. Let me go that side, not see the pastor. The pastor is a ho-ho in your house. Because you cannot present the message and say, we love God. The way, the way it is presented. Brother Brenham, the other time, he was in a restaurant. He sees a woman that was in her senior years, half naked. And Brother Brenham say, oh God, why don't you just wipe off this thing upon the face of the earth? God said, hang on. You got a lot of stuff that I could have wiped you off for. But, by the grace of God, it says a vision broke out. Every time I saw my iniquity, I saw the blood of Jesus Christ becoming a bumper. Right there in his eyes, I said, oh God, what was I, I doing? He went to the woman and said, sister, I'm the minister of the gospel. Would you mind if I talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. And the woman turned around and says, you don't know I was I used to go to church. I was raised in church. But things went wrong. He says, right on that floor, I led her to Jesus Christ. Yo, you are clapping, I know. It's good stuff. But another brother would have said, Jezebel's meat. Who taught you that it's Jezebel's meat? What were you before you knew that it's Jezebel's meat? Sometimes we forget where we come from. And that is why we become pompous and arrogant and puffed up. There is nothing wrong with the message. This is the greatest product. There is nothing wrong. It's the message that's hindering. It's the, these days, you'll bear with me. I mean, have you heard the brother presenting a testimony? He never said, Pastor Madiba, what, what? Did you hear? Most testimonies in messages today, the pastor has got to be the main character. Oh, this one will make me feel good. Let's take it to before. If a testimony does not have Jesus Christ as a central theme, it must be rejected. No, no, no. We are not a personality cult. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a bunch of men. You know, the main thing, I want us to read. You know, the main thing is with our message. It's not the message that's hindering. It's the way it's presented sometimes. See, if we can present it right in the power and the demonstration of the love of God, men will be glad to receive it. Let me put it this way. If a sinner comes to you, brother, 
Mtimuni. And says, you know, I'm hungry. And Brother Mtimuni says, we'll pray for you. <laughs> and that sinner goes to Brother Clement, he's not a message believer, and says, I'm hungry. And Brother Clement says, here's 20 runs. Get something to eat. But before, as you go and eat, God has made a provision for this tenement that I'm giving you. And just know that the, there is a natural bread and there is a spiritual bread. I'm giving you the natural bread, but I want to introduce the spiritual bread. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's got a better chance of re- winning the sinner? The one that attended to the need. A lot of times when we address that God can address your by head brother says there may be somebody with a financial need. A lot of people, especially in us message churches, the moment you see financial needs, we are not here for finance, we are here for the rapture. If you can feed a soul in a hungry body, if you can attempt to feed a soul in a hungry body, that person will become a spiritual crook. Because he knows the scriptures, but he's still hungry. The gospel, folks, it has parts. We don't just say we baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next part we say, where do you stay? One brother, I remember, after we baptized him, I said, where do you stay? He says, no, I stay at such and such place. I went to the place where I stay. I said, after we've baptized you, you cannot come and stay here. We need to move you. Why? Because he was staying with a bunch of uh, uh, drug, uh, drug addicts. I said, you cannot return here. You need to move out. Find a place. Create new sets of friends. Because why? It's part two. What happens? If he does not have money to find a room, we don't just sit there and say, ah, God will make a way. We pray for the room. Are we together? And we move you and say, we have paid for the room. Go and stay there. And not only, we are not going to pay for the room every month. Then we get a job for you. So that you can pay for yourself. Then you come to the church. Then you hear the gospel. Do you see? We have addressed the natural structure to allow the spiritual environment to be conducive. But a lot of times, people would want to address the spiritual and neglect the natural. If you come to me as a young man and say, oh, God showed me a vision to marry sister so-and-so, oh, we're going to enjoy the vision, but once the vision closes, we're going to say, where do you work? Because you need to make a living for the sister. You're not going to sit in the house and watch visions. No, 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 no. Are you here, people? It, this gospel, this message addresses every level. I will repeat that. This message addresses all levels. Your natural needs are addressed. Your material needs are addressed. Your marital needs are Everything is addressed. That amen was quite very shallow for my liking. Do you believe that, folks? Amen. Amen. Then, young people in this church, hear me out, especially those whose parents 
have been in the message and got married into the message. Had it not been by the grace of God, there is 99.99% chances that mommy and dad would have long divorced. But the glue that kept them together was this message. There are chances that had your family not been message believers. Folks, in all fairness, being a man in the message, not me, the world doesn't produce such men anymore. Go and check. That's why in the world, seven women are fighting for one crook. <laughs> this message, there is, I, I, I'm amazed. And uh, maybe I had much better say this because it is, it's dominating my thought. I'm somewhat, I, I've got no research. This is what I'm going to tell you for what it is. I think, I believe that this message, when you accept it, somewhat it takes your IQ level a, a bit higher. I'm, I'm just sharing with you. How, how you reason it is up to you. I mean, I look at people that never knew computers. How to, brother, like he was telling me, Pastor, I did not know nothing about computers. But it's there, searching message quotations for you. <laughs> Without a computer school, Brother Mandela knows nothing about sound engineering. He's the one running the sound system. So it seems like this message somewhat makes you a better person, whether you like it or not. I expect a better amen than that. Then the danger part is that after it made you a better person, it makes you attractive to the world. That's why the world wants to recruit from our young people to advance their agenda. Then you've got to be wise. And know why the devil is busy showing you. Brother says sin is attractive. But it is very dangerous. It will kill you. Nothing wrong with our message. It is the way it is being presented. Brother, type Haiti president. Another brother once visited this church and told, where's Brother Grace? Is Brother Grace going to work? Oh, okay. Oh, he's a, he's a present father. Just busy with the little one. Amen. <laughs> we need a, a speaker for where the fathers take the little ones. <laughs> Good men. Amen. That's why I heard somebody saying, young girls, don't be pregnant because men today, they don't raise children, they grow beards. <laughs> um, but in the message you hear, very responsible fathers. Amen. Being involved in your children's life is not being a sissy. You are being responsible. It's, it's your child. Amen. Are you winning, brothers? We're going to close. President Haiti. 
There's something that I want to show the believers. It's just two quotations. I'll pick up one. Where Brother Moon says they were escorting him to a Haiti. There's something that I want you to see there. And while they're looking, uh, there isn't, you look at the Jewish community, you look at the Muslim community, they've been able to preserve the purity of their faith despite it being twisted because they've been able to make sure a Muslim, a Muslim, a Muslim does not, does not, Compromise. I had a colleague who, when I was at Coca-Cola, I think ABI, we all knew that around one and two is a time for prayer. Even the company knew. At the airport or at Tambo, there is a room, their prayer room, where they pray. And I was asking, how did these people became such a force to be reckoned with around the globe that whatever they do, they force companies to accommodate them, they force nations, they force apples, they force restaurants. What happened? Power of influence. And I realized that it's because they operate as a community, not as individuals. And I realized that if, if you were to fire a Muslim woman for praying between one and two, or for a Muslim man that was praying one and two, and you find it is definitely going to go into the newspaper. There's going to be a Muslim uh, lawyer that is going to take up the case to the court. You get what I mean? But I realized somebody was telling me that the sisters in Weedbank, they once went to one school where they wanted to tell them that our children will not wear trousers. And the principal said, Ah, you. Guys are taking chances. Yeah, we're not going to accept that. Then I said, the sisters were very godly. But where were the brothers that are advocating the message that could have helped the sisters to take their case and say, principal, we're going to sort you out. If you don't, we're going to take it to the Department of Home Affairs, of, of Education, or we're going to take it national. We can even take it to the Constitutional Court, brothers. So you see, brothers, if you don't read, you cannot protect your faith. Uh, uh, am I making sense, folks? The sisters had a good desire that we want to challenge the school, but they can go up to a point. And I say, where were the brothers? If they arrest us for preaching the gospel, I don't see many lawyers in the message that are going to defend us. Oh, I mean, I'm preaching. And you, you hear, I'm provoking generational thinking. You know that if something was to happen to Muslims and it goes to court, you know that it's going to be Muslim lawyers that are going to stand there. They will take it to the highest, to the, us, or the, the least that we can do, we'll just pray about it. But after we have not changed anything, Okay, 
Brother Ram says, now this prayer clause does send voice of healing. I'm right immediately. The first, the first of the year, uh, if the Lord willing, I'm going to Kingston, Jamaica, into Haiti. The president of Haiti sent me an invitation. It was not another pastor. It was not another brother at some corner. The president of the country invited Brother Brennan. Folks, if this message, a president can see the need for this message, this is a great product. Then he said, with all their militia for protection. So he even said, Brother Brennan, you come. We'll organize the soldiers who are going to go there and they're going to protect you. As the Congolese brothers, they will tell you, the message in Congo is recognized by the highest office in the land. Is it true, brothers? The brothers from America, they were surprised. They went to preach for Brother Dioka. Uh, you know, Coco is congested with traffic. And they surprised the pastor. They said, no, you're going to get to church in no time. He says, in this traffic, they, right there, he had organized the soldiers to escort the pastor. And they were moving, going opposite uh, the traffic, clearing the traffic and said, the man of God needs to go and preach. Yeah, these brothers have worked in Congo. Another brother, Congolese brother, was telling me, say, Brother Madiba, we have worked in our country to an extent that if you were to take a, a stone and throw it in the air, there is one out of five chances that it will hit a message belief. <laughs> he says, when you are in the airport, if you can just shout and say, William Brenham, chances that a message believer is going to come and say, what are you talking about? So the country is evangelical. Why? They believe. They are not ashamed of their products. And actually, those that know, at some point in time, even the government of Congo, at some point in time, they were insisting that if they want to appoint, they need to appoint message believers because they were known to be trustworthy. I'm showing you the power of the message. The president of Haiti sent me an invitation. And not only Congo, Pastor Chetini had the Minister of Health in his church at some point in time. You remember the woman who was a, who was a I think she was a medical scientist. She got sick and went all the way into America until she was attended by, is it Ben who? The one that ran for president, the black guy in America that ran for president. Not just Jackson, after him in recent times, Ben is, is a neurosurgeon. Yeah. So the, even the guy was involved in the sister's case, they could not resolve it and she came back and while she had decided that it's final, I'm going to die, then she was in the house and she was watching TV and Brother Chitinza had bought a, a broadcast where they were broadcasting messages on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. While she was sitting there, then she looks and she hears the gospel being preached. She decided that, no, 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 let me go and try. And she went there and was prayed for. She's healed. She's a sister now in the message. A case that, that, that even renowned neurosurgeons could not resolve, it has been resolved. The minister of health had to come and say, we had given up as their colleagues. <laughs> That's the power of the message. Are, are we together? That's why I don't like doji testimonies. The president of Haiti sent me an invitation. 
You can read it with me. With all their militia for protection. They are having an uprise there. What it is. He wants us to come with this type of ministry. He had heard had, had been over in Sanjan last year when he was there. Go down. He, he said he thought that was the only thing that would save his country. The president said he thought this is the only thing that can save my country. And I say, the message of Malachi 4 can save a country. The message of Malachi 4 can save the community. If it is accepted fully, I expect you to say amen to that. Amen. Folks, when you sell a product, we used to train sales consultants that if you, if you believe in the product, you cannot just come and say, yeah, this product, it does help from time to time. It will not work. There must be enthusiasm. I believe my product is the best. I believe it, no other product can beat the quality of this product. It is durable. Here are the features of the product. This is what it has done for such and such. We can even bring other customers as testimonials to tell you that the product has worked. Are we together? Yeah. That, that's what it gives you. But if you just come there like your energy is down, it doesn't work. Are we so I'm saying the message is the greatest product in the end time. Others are saying, Amen. The message is the greatest product in the end time. It, it can fix families. It can fix the community. It can fix churches. It can fix men. It can fix women. It can fix young people. It, oh, it can fix everything. The message. I think I must stop here. But in closing, we've got to tell the generations that are coming after us about the great works that God has done in our generation and our children must take that to the next generation. Are we together? God bless you richly as we stand up. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Bought with a price, Jesus has changed my whole life. I am redeemed, I'm bought with a price, Jesus.
us to pray for them. Uh, there's quite an instability in Zimbabwe. Uh, things are not fine. There's tension in Congo. Things are quite tense. We are going to remember our brethren in those countries. They have requested us to remember them in prayer. When we come to the end, we are going to pray remembering them. There's a, a, a demon of war uh, that is dominating Congo. We are going to pray that because when there is war, the gospel does not flow freely. The reason I believe that when things were tense in 1994 in this country and how things were resolved amicably, I don't believe it was Nelson Mandela. I believe God allowed things to be resolved amicably because the gospel had to flow unhindered. Actually, the message is the one that ended apartheid in this country. 
If you want to sit down with me, I can show you in the spoken way where Brother Brenham spoke that this is not going to hold any longer. This message, the president of Haiti said, we need this message. And I believe this message can address the Congo situation. Uh, I'm not a politician. I'm the minister of the gospel. I've got absolutely no... Brother Mim used to say I've got no much... I don't have much respect for J.F. Kennedy. I absolutely don't have much respect for Paul Kagame. Because he is the one that is causing a problem on the eastern side of Congo. The Congolese brothers here know what I'm talking about because of the minerals in conjunction with America. But we are going to pray and bind that territorial spirit. If things are stable, if things are not stable, it affects families. But we're going to pray. Zimbabwe, the guy that is there, I don't know what is happening but the believers are there. Zimbabwe is well evangelist, evangelized country. And I believe that at some point in time, the brothers would want things to be stable back home, not to wonder what could be next. And I think we as message people can stand in the gap. Why, why do I believe that? The Prince of Persia was once sorted out by Angel Michael, and we have come to know that the Prince of Persia, it was a territorial demon that was tormenting that area. So there is a demon that is tormenting Zimbabwe. There is a demon that is tormenting Congo. But as, because our brothers are there, we're going to pray for those two countries. Are we together? The greatest thing that God has ever given to the human race was not hydrogen bomb, atomic bomb. It was prayer. Brother Eli spoke to you about how in certain areas just to go to church it's a life-threatening experience. The danger part is when you've got a freedom, you tend to take it for granted. But in certain countries, it's not a foregone conclusion. But we're going to pray. Only believe and all of us, we're going to pray. If I can have the door closed, less movement during prayer.
Lord, I believe. Thank you, Father. Is here. How many believe that? I believe so. believe that this afternoon only believe all things are possible Lord Jesus. All things are possible. Thank you, Father. 
Yes. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this afternoon for your grace and mercy. Dear God, we are standing in need of prayer this morning. We want to thank you for this message of the hour. Your prophet says this is the greatest product. I believe so 100%, dear God. I know many a times we go about it the wrong way. And dear God, we just want you to forgive us. If we have ever mispresented this message in any way, it is our desire, dear God, that this message can go forth and find the lost wherever they are, dear God. Heavenly Father, we know as we have sung the song, all things are possible to them that believe. I believe that, dear God, prayer can change things. I believe that prayer is the greatest force that you have ever given to the human race. And Heavenly Father, at this point in time, together with believers, we are raising our voices and we are asking you for interventions in many situations, some at national level, some at a personal level, some at a family level. We look at the developments in Congo. We've got brethren that are in this assembly that are connected to that country, dear God. They've got loved ones in that country. But I'm standing here offering a prayer dear God knowing very well that you what you did for South Africa how you resolved the issues here when things were tense you can do exactly that in Congo dear God we are praying dear God that let peace prevail in that area dear God let sense prevail in that area dear God whatever people that are there that are bloodthirsty we want to bind that demon that is bloodthirsty in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I know, dear God, that when we report this matter to you, you shall attend to it, dear God. We know how Congo, how the likes of Brother Dioka stood in that country, how they propagated the message in those regions. And right now, dear God, we stand them together in prayer and pray for that country, dear God, that let the message continue to flow unhindered by national elements, unhindered by political elements. Let there be peace, dear God, for the sake of the elect in that area. And I say, Satan, we have the authority to bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. We know what is happening currently in Zimbabwe, dear God, how Satan once again, through evil men, how he has become so bloodthirsty, dear God, but dear God, I'm standing here in the gap praying for those countries. I know, dear God, that you are the kind of God that can move elements, dear God, for the sake of the bride, dear God. I remember when you wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, it was Abraham that said, what if there are still righteous people there? And you said, oh, if there are still righteous people, you would never do anything. There are still righteous people in Zimbabwe. There are still righteous people in Congo. Oh, dear God, for their sake, may you intervene. May you do something that will be miraculous. I know if the president of Haiti knew that what would save his country was the message of the hour, I know, dear God, you can glorify yourself. 
right in the midst of chaos, you can bring an order until people realize it was God's intervention, dear God. We are praying for the believers here. We are praying for them and their families. You know their needs, dear God. You know their battles. You know their sickness. Some of them are sick and afflicted. But dear God, there is still balm in Gilead. There is still God that can heal their diseases. That's why we are praying unto you, dear God. We have spoken about thinking about the next generation. We have our young people, dear God. There are so many temptations, dear God. So many evil influences upon the face of the earth. I'm standing here and praying for them. May you be gracious for them, dear God. I know, dear God, you have never been defeated one time. Never. There's never been a time where you suffered defeat. You are a war veteran, dear God. All the battles that you fought, you overcame. Some, dear God, were so paradoxical. But, dear God, with little you did much. I know when we pray and commit matters to you, you will intervene because you love us, dear God. The reason I know you loved us, you died for us. You sent us a prophet. You sent us the message. And this morning we are coming before you. We are praying for our children, dear God. We are praying for them as they go to school. May you give them a sense. May you give them a sense of responsibility. May you make them to be respectful to us teachers until they can see that they are of a different kind. We pray for this assembly, dear God. We always gather in this manner in one accord. I know Satan hates it, but dear God, I know if you are with us, who can be against us, dear God? We pray for Brother Eli. He will be leaving, going back home, 900 kilometers that he has traveled. Pray for him. May you bless him. May you bless his dear wife. May you bless his mom, dear God. We thank you for everything that you have done for believers. We'll be living here. We need your traveling mercy. We need your protection throughout the week until we come together on Wednesday, dear God. May you be gracious. I know, dear God, whenever Satan doesn't know what to do, he goes to the places of work of you, the believers, and he causes a commotion. I want to bind that spirit as well, dear God, that wherever the believers are, let them have favor with you. Let them have favor with the people. May you open the doors for them. May you make things to be manageable, dear God. May they realize they've got a seed of Joseph amongst them because wherever Joseph went, he prospered because, dear God, you're with him. And I know you're with the believers, dear God. Wherever they are, some of them have got businesses, may you bless their businesses, dear God. May you partner with them, dear God. May you do paradoxical things. May the testimonies come so that you show that you are a living God. You are not a stature. You are not a historical God. You are the God of now. You hear our prayers. And I know you can respond, dear God. We love you. We appreciate you, dear God. And dear God, if there is any war or a battle that your children are engaged in, I declare victory upon that war, dear God. If they are sick, I declare healing. If they are lost, may they be found. If they are weary, may they be re-energized. I know whatever is needed, you will provide it, dear God. If there are problems that need to be resolved, resolve them, dear God. If there is a financial need, I know, dear God, there was a time where you took a coin from the mouth of a fish. You will provide. You are a provider. You call yourself Jehovah Jireh. There is nothing that is, that is beyond you. There is no problem that is insurmountable before you. All things are subject for you. Dear God, we want to thank you for everything. And we commit everything to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you richly. Just give us a song.
and thereafter you are dismissed till we see some of you on Wednesday and some on Sunday. God, may God preserve you and grant you the traveling mercy. God bless you richly. Amen. Any song? How many believe the name of Jesus has power?
of Jesus must be worshipped. How many agree that he must be praised? I think he deserves a round of applause. There is no God like our God. There is no Jehovah like our Jehovah. Folks, he opened the Red Sea. The Red Sea. Without any marine scientist. Just the power of the spoken word. Two million people were led by one man. There was no shag needed today. No, 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 no. The power of the spoken word. Can you imagine if you migrate two million people? Diseases are going to... There were going to be an outbreak of diseases. But no. A climate-controlled exodus. At night when it was, it was very cold, the pillar of fire warmed them. During the day when the sun was scorching, they came under the shade of the cloud. Our God is a very good God. Yeah, no wonder we... Uh, me, I've got no time to worship a useless God. This God is a powerful God. And uh, he must be worshipped. Amen. You know, when we come from the presence of the Lord, we rejoice. You can, you can never be depressed and worship at the same time. It, it doesn't work. Let's... I'm having a good time. I don't know how many are having good time. Sometimes it's difficult to leave church. You just feel that, why don't we just rapture? Amen. Come. Just another song. I don't know which direction to look at. Oh, there is another song. All right. Ah, this one, normally when we sing this one, Satan is very upset. Ah, he runs away even before he sees us. Just by the sound of the beat, he knows that we are coming. Uh, how many people in the building that Satan is afraid of? Uh, keep your hands up. How many? And how many are afraid of Satan? All right. Uh, we are not afraid. He is afraid of us. Amen. Make sure that when you say amen, you mean business, because that guy, he will cause problems for you. You must really know your ground that he indeed is afraid. He's not afraid of noise. He's afraid of the life of Jesus Christ in the heart of the believer. Amen. We're going to enjoy this one, and thereafter... You are dismissed till we see you. It has been a wonderful Sunday. God bless all the visitors. I see Sister Katlero. Sister Katlero. God bless you, Rich, my sister. Amen.
Vamos a 